Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum radio show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus did. I have the privilege today of interviewing one of the speakers from our recent annual apologetics conference, Andy Fry. Andy is a faculty member of Worldview Academy and has spoken at churches and camps across the country on worldview, apologetics, church history, and engaging the culture. He's also the author of The Image of God, a nine-week study. He's the department chair for social studies at Grants Pass High School and has been an adjunct professor at Pacific Bible College. Concordia University, and Rogue Community College. He holds an MA in History and Political Philosophy from Excelsior College and a BA in History from San Diego State University. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. As you well know, there is a crisis today in the church of young people leaving the faith. Some studies that I've seen indicate that 60 to even 70% of kids from solid Bible-believing churches, are walking away from their faith during and after high school. What in the world is going on? The reality is the data in the last 20 years has really gone up. The 18 to 30 age group, the number of people identifying as having no religion has more than doubled in the last 25 years in general. If you start diving deep into the weeds of the data, We also know that 73% of all kids who are raised with two evangelical parents tend to come back or not leave in the first place. So Hmm. the biggest factor is Bible-believing and Bible-practicing parents. To flip that Hmm. around, one of the biggest factors in leaving are people who have been wounded in the church, either Hmm. by their parents or by a church figure. So it's, it's very tempting to blame the culture. Only one out of 12 of people who left the church said that college or a college professor was the reason. Wow. And the latest data shows that that decision is actually being made between 14 and 17. Hmm. And they act on it later. Looking at it from, okay, culture is what it is. That really doesn't matter. The church has always operated. In fact, it's often prospered in hostile culture. We can blame the culture, but the reality is when we look at the data, some of the cause is how we're doing church. Hmm. And so, you know, obviously self-examination and wanting to do better as a church leader, this is is something we need to do. So that's that's kind of a part of the why. I mean, there's all sorts of data. You can dive deep into the weeds, but I'll I'll stop there for now. (laughs) Well, you know, is there something that's changed in the last 20 years that's all of a sudden enabled this increase in kids leaving the church. Yeah. You know, there is a little bit of church like freak out going on. And and some of that freak (laughs) out, especially when I talk to parents is, okay, first of all, calm down a little bit, but not too much because some of that freak out is good. Like we need to step back and say, okay, what are we doing wrong? And some of it I think is when you look at the whys, it's not so much when a Ravi Zacharias falls away that, Mm. 10,000 Christian kids say, okay, I'm out of here. It's Mm. more when somebody they know, right? Mm. When their own youth pastor or their parents 
don't practice the faith. You see that in the responses that a lot of this is anger, what somebody has a termed emotional atheism, where they don't actually disbelieve in God, but they're really angry and respond emotionally mm. to something they saw in the church or in their home. We can get distracted with, you know, all the famous Christians that go off the deep end, but usually the result is more personal. So if you start breaking down who's leaving and who are the nuns, right? This is the new word, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, who say, look, we don't believe in church anymore. But the number of them who are atheist is the same as the percentage of atheists 100 years ago. So atheism is not a growth industry. It's not going anywhere. <laughs> so hmm. many of these will say they believe in a God. They're still spiritual. In fact, many of them report being more spiritual in their late 20s than when they left the church. Hmm. But they're not in church. So we start parsing this down. You say, well, have you left God? Have you left Christianity or have you left the church? And lots of them have left the church, but not Christianity. Hmm. Some of them have left Christianity, but not the idea of God. And then some have just gone full on, and I don't buy into any of this, right? Hmm. Hmm. So when you look at the data, which says, you know, uh, right now it's about 25% of all Americans identify as nuns. When you look at the, the 18 to 30, that's like a 36% to 40% range. That's incredibly wow. high. That's the number that's blown up and is all over the news. But when you say, what does it mean to be a nun? You find that some of them still would call themselves Christian, but they don't want to identify with a church. Hmm. Or they believe in God, but they're not sure if Christianity is the exclusive truth. Hmm. Now, all of those, as a Bible-believing Christian, are problems, but it's not like 36% of the 18 to 30 are atheist, to be clear. Hmm. And so a lot of those will come back, right? But something in church has put them off. And so as a leader in the church, we want to begin by saying, okay, is it me? I mean, if it's not me, it's not me. If it's the gospel, then that's kind of their problem. If it's the core of Christian ethics, then that's their problem. But if it's something we're doing, if we are spiritualizing our cultural preferences, Mm -hmm. or if we're demonizing their cultural preferences, and what we're really doing is trying to get Jesus to say that what I want to be true is true, which we church people can do, right? then that's something we need to confess and correct. Because Mm. the gospel is, I would think, for any church leader, primary. And if it's not, that's part of the problem. Right. We have allowed some of our other priorities to be prioritized over the gospel and then say, this is what church is. Mm. And, you know, kids aren't stupid. I remember being a young Christian and seeing things in the church and reading the Bible and saying, there's a contradiction here, and it bothered me. You know, good dad, we worked through it. And he's, yeah, you know, church people aren't perfect, but... Not everybody has that. Right. Those are the things where I think as the church, this is a moment for us to be instructed Mm. and really think hard about our priorities and make sure we are prioritizing the gospel and not letting our personal desires slip in and become doctrine. Mm, That's good. So it's always good to stop, step back and say, okay, have I gotten off the mark here if I'm a church leader, Mm. you know, and I'm, I'm in that position somewhat. So I think that's a healthy thing for the church to do. One of the other statistics that we've come across is that 85% of kids from solid churches don't have a biblical worldview. Yeah. And yeah. How do you That's see it. that contributing to some of the examples you gave? How much has that worldview topic been crucial in sort of setting the stage for this situation? Yeah. Uh, so once in a while, I back up the pastors by just pinch hitting, giving them a break. And 
was speaking on the Holy Spirit and in preparing for the sermon to my, this is again as Barna, that 40% of all Christians with an absolutely solidly biblical worldview said that the Holy Spirit isn't a person. These yeah. are the solid ones, right? And you want to say, hey, yeah. you know, third person, <laughs> you know, that, that's kind of a thing, right? When I was a kid, you know, the pastor would say, hey, when Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and he'd just go on. You can't do that anymore. You have to stop and tell the whole story because like, you're, what are you talking about? So biblical illiteracy, illiteracy. in mm. a Bible-believing church is a huge thing. And mm. so if, you're, if we're biblically illiterate, we're doctrinally illiterate, that's a problem. And I would say there's three things. One is doctrine. The second is apologetics. And the third is worldview. Jay Budzinski, he's a poli-sci professor at the University of Texas, wrote a book on how to stay Christian in college. And he Mm. did some looking at church instruction. He said it actually gets simpler and more dumbed down the older kids get. They actually get better instruction in like fifth grade Sunday school than they do in youth group. Wow. To quote an old 60s song, we are not teaching our children well. Dorothy Sayers said the doctrine is the drama, right? It's not boring. It's the Mm. most exciting thing. I think we Christians are sometimes known for what we're against, but not Mm. for what we're for. So if you're going to talk about sexuality, everybody knows what Christians are against, but are we explaining to our kids what a biblical sexuality is for? Like the good news of sexuality, why this is the biblical view of sexuality is part of what constitutes the best and frankly only true answer for human flourishing. Hmm. Have we explained it that way? Or do they just know everything we don't like? Well. The problem is when they Mm. leave the bubble of home and homeschool and church and go into the world, there are plenty of people who are very happy to talk about what they're for. And it sounds really good. The internet is full of it. And and I think it's one thing you got to realize your competition is not a college professor. College professors are not that big a deal. (laughs) Even at Portland State, it's the internet is your competition. It's YouTube. So Mm. are we teaching Mm. our children what Christianity is for that the abundant life uh, in these areas, right? So that's doctrine, right? And mm. obviously the basics, right? The biblical literacy and, and so on. Secondly, are we teaching them apologetics? Do they have the ability to defend what they believe, to understand other religions and worldviews, and to have that discussion? And I find, as somebody who, you know, I've taught apologetics even at Pacific Bible College down here, 99% of the apologetics I actually do is yeah. teaching Christians you know, I'm not William Lane Craig or those super genius sure. guys that goes to Oxford. <laughs> but at a street level, it's really instructing young Christians on this is why your belief is true. And not just young Christians. I mean, I do this in front of old Christians, and I've had grandmothers say, I've never heard this before. Now I intellectually understand why it's true. Part of me is overjoyed, and part of me is appalled. Like, really, <laughs> been in church this long, and this seems rather basic to me. I've even heard of a couple of churches bringing a pastor of apologetics. That's a good thing. I think it's a need. And I think their job is to train the body. And you need to know how to defend your beliefs. It's a reasoned faith. And consequently, when you send our young people out, and Budzinski says this, as soon as they run into a smooth-talking person with a different worldview, they are literally blown out of the water because they've never really right. had to deal with that before. Right. We should be having that conversation before they leave the home. And then the third worldview then is the application. How does that apply in various areas of culture and politics and personal life and ethics? I mean, it's the, sort of the, now we go into the world and we live this out, right? And you're going to meet people who think differently, right? That may not be so much, you know, arguments about the resurrection, but it might be like, how do I, 
how do I live out my faith as a public school teacher? How do I, mm. how do I represent that worldview in a winsome way as salt and light in the world? So I think those are three areas that the church needs to step back and say, are we instructing the body in those areas intentionally, especially our young people? Do you think our preaching has changed in the last 20 years? Or are we not covering those fundamental doctrinal issues? Are we getting more entertainment-based? Why would yeah. people be in the church their whole lives and say, I've never heard that Christianity is a thinking person's religion, not a blind yeah. faith? Goodness gracious, yeah. Boy, if I had Why do you think that's happening? Well, I think so there's two tiers, right? There's what are we doing in youth group? And again, I've been a high school teacher. So I, my heart is with, you know, 14 to 25. That's my passion. You know, I love that group. And a Sunday morning, there's two things going on, right? You got youth group over here. You got adult church here. Typically, I don't think the way you do it really matters. I think, what are you doing in your youth group? And I'm friends with many youth pastors. They get terrible education in seminary. I've known several that have come to me in my own town and said, can you explain more of this apologetics thing? I didn't get any seminary. And I'm just like, how could you not get apologetics <laughs> in, you know, even two-year Bible school, four-year Bible school? They know you're going to be youth pastor. How did you not get this training? You know, it may go back to the Bible school training level, right? Mm-hmm. At least with the youth pastors. Some churches teach topically. Some churches teach verse by verse. I don't care which way you go. They're both biblical. But I wonder sometimes if we're stopping and saying, what does my congregation need? So if you're teaching verse by verse and you're in Revelation, I mean, that's fantastic. But frankly, eschatology being taught to a congregation that doesn't know why they believe what they believe now is kind of a cart before the horse. Mm-hmm. So, or if you want to argue about the denominational difference between your church and the next church from the pulpit, I mean, who cares if right. they don't know who Moses was, right? I mean, <laughs> so, and so I'm a high school teacher. I'm a department chair. I think in terms of curriculum, scope and sequence, you begin here, you end up there. And so when I look sometimes at what church is doing, I'm like, have you thought about your curriculum? Have you thought, mm-hmm. you know, here's the baby step, here's the end product. But sometimes the preaching is just kind of out of order. Mm. And no wonder then I have to explain Numbers 21, the story of the snake being lifted up to a bunch of adults who don't seem to know the story. And obviously some of them were saved as adults, right? They didn't go to Sunday school, which is a good thing, but we can't assume them they have Sunday school knowledge. So, And I'm not saying it's to criticize pastors because Lord knows they have got a million people to please. And what a tough job to kind of go, how do I take care of, you know, if you're looking at 500 people all in different places, what do you preach on Sunday morning? What a tough job. So I think the answer to that is not so much to say, hey, pastors, you're preaching wrong, but to say, okay, preach through verse by verse or preach topically. But what else are you giving adults? You know, for instance, with media, You could create a 15-minute YouTube video. You could create four of them on, here's the basics of why we do church. And you could put that out to your congregation. You could do adult Sunday school. You could have home groups focus on topics. Church is not just an hour on Sunday morning. Right. Right? And so we have, in our modern era, so many new tools to use to instruct the body. And you don't even have to be a big church to do it, right? You and I are sitting here with two computers. A little church of a right. hundred, you can, <laughs> and yeah, it's more work. But the question is, does your body know how to defend their faith? Right. right. If they don't, then your series on Revelation 
it could be awesome, but you've kind of put the cart before the horse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You're getting dessert before dinner. So the surveys are showing us again, Barner surveys, you know, I mentioned the one on the Holy spirit, but there are lots of those surveys about the average church sitting person has sort of bizarre ideas. 53% of self-identified born again, Christians think you can work your way into heaven. Wow. And literally the verse that says born again says God (laughs) has to do this. You can't, right? I mean, that's the whole point, right? You can't give birth to yourself. So, so when you see data like that, you're saying, look, I know pastors are working hard. They're doing their best. But when we see data like that, we have to stop and say, maybe the topic I think is important. Maybe I need to step back and see where my instruction level is to my congregation. And especially with youth, right? And obviously many pastors are thinking that way and doing it. I think, that the the problem we're talking about people leaving church, many pastors have woken up to this and they have stepped back. So mm-hmm. pastors are working their tails off trying to figure this out and do their best. And, you know, that is just amazing work. So this is by no means ripping on, you know, pastors. Sure. Most of them are just saying, okay, what do I need to do? And they're doing their best. COVID has made us step back and say, have we really explained the purpose of church? Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah. we live in a consumer culture. Many people think church is there as a product I consume. Yeah. And if I don't like you, I'll go to the one down the road. You know, if I don't like Burger right. King, I'll go down to In-N-Out, right? right. right. People right. bring that attitude in the church. So have we really communicated that church is a community, a 24-7 community? Yeah. In that case, we are obviously fighting culture, right? Because culture yeah. trains us to think as consumers. So church is there to give me something hmm. instead of church is a community I'm part of where it's a mutual giving. Hmm. You know, I go to church maybe because somebody needs me there that morning, not because I need to be fed from the pulpit like a baby being spoon fed. Right. So, I mean, there's some mindset things in our culture that we're fighting against. I think that's a tough job for pastors. Hmm. But we've got to look at this data and ask ourselves some questions like, hey, you know, if I give a test and half my kids fail, even after 30 something years of teaching, I step back and say, "Okay, I must have messed up. Hmm. That's you know, good. if five kids fail, yeah. that's on them. If half of them fail, right. that's on me. Right, right. And I go, oh, what did I miss? Yeah. I like your emphasis, Andy, on the youth because it feels to me like there's still hope for them. They're still asking questions. They're still yeah. there to be molded and shaped and helped. So a lot of parents and grandparents will be listening to this radio show. Yeah. So what are some super practical things that they could start today, tomorrow, this week to help their kids and grandkids kind of navigate this, this difficult journey? Yeah. One of the biggest reasons young people leave church is because they felt like their objections to Christianity. And let's be honest, all of us have objections to Christianity. Every one of us has in our quiet voice said, okay, to be honest, this part doesn't make sense. (laughs) Right. But we don't voice it. Well, imagine being a teenager, right? And you go, I don't understand this. Mm. You know, if God is good, why do bad things happen? That is a topic that I deal with all the time. Yeah. And that's a serious question. And so if questions are frowned upon, if Mm. they're squashed, if, Mm. oh, you don't have enough faith, if that's the answer, that's Mm. a terrible answer. Mm -hmm. right? Because these questions need to be taken seriously, again, without freaking out. Mm -hmm. To look at your son or daughter and say, you know, that is a fantastic question. And you know, everybody asks that question. You're totally okay for asking it. 
Now, the next thing parents think is, I have no idea how to answer that question. <laughs> right. Right. And, and it's a pretty juicy one. And so again, then get on YouTube and find somebody who answers it well. Hmm. Ask your pastor, read a book. Tim Keller's book on that particular hmm. question on pain and suffering is fantastic. Hmm. Educate yourself. Your children's souls are at stake. It's hmm. worth your extra time and energy. Hmm. Or find somebody who can help you out, right? Go, I, I, I'm, my brain doesn't work that way. I've had parents say that. I'm like, look, I get it, you know, but you have resources, right? And this is where pastors and youth pastors need to educate themselves mm-hmm. and to educate the congregation. And like those youth pastors that I've told you about, they come to me because they want to learn. And I love that. I love that. That's the spirit, yeah, right? Yeah. Okay, I didn't get in school. I didn't get in seminary. I didn't get wherever, but I want to learn. Good, good. We can work with that. Here, read these books. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. So as a parent, do what you can to educate yourself. And if it's beyond you, and we're all human, we don't have so many hours in the day and we're working, I get it. Then the beauty is we live in this world where, I mean, as American Christians, we're drowning in resources, so yeah. at least take the time to find the resource. Say, okay, hey, watch this YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Or to go to your pastor and say, what do you got? Oh, here, here's this guy. This guy really is an expert on you know the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. oh, here, this book is a really solid explanation of sexuality from a biblical perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, how to argue against bad perspectives, right? So, but you're the parent. At the end of the day, at least take the time to find the resources to give your kid or show your kid. But whatever you do, don't freak out. Mm. questions Mm. are normal. Doubting is normal. Mm. As a person who works with high school students every single day, do you think that if students ask their parents or their grandparents this tough question, you know, if God is good, why do bad things happen to good people or whatever it is? If the parent says, like you said, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Lots of people have asked. I don't know the answer. Mm-hmm. But let's search it out together. Yes. What do you think the student is going to say? The student might be a little taken aback that mom and dad don't know answers, but they're going to be <laughs> far more put off if you shut them down because then they'll never ask you another question again, but they will go find answers and you won't like where they find them. Mm. So whatever you do, don't close down the conversation. Again, I have a 20, 24. Believe me, I have been in the middle of these conversations for the last yeah. several years on my own. And it's hard not to be emotional and just say, oh, come on, just... You know, <laughs> how can we not, get, you know, <laughs> because that anxious parent thing kicks in, right? And, yes. but to keep the conversation going. Mm. And my dad was so good at this. I, you know, he was an aerospace engineer, very logical person, but he mm. never told me I was wrong. He would just ask me questions. Now mm. I look back and he was very smart about the questions he asked. <laughs> he, was, he was nudging me like yeah. Socrates in a certain direction, but yeah. it made me think, and he drew the answers out of me. Well, if, if you mm-hmm. say this, then what about that? And I go, Oh, I didn't think of that. But mm-hmm. he, he kept the conversation moving respectfully, even though, you know, teenagers, some of the stuff I look back now, like what a bonehead I was, but, <laughs> but he was so patient and respectful and was a model for me how to engage teenagers, whether you have the answer or not at the tip of your fingers your children will appreciate that you are open to having the conversation, that you don't shut them down, that you model that to them. And the fact that you're humble enough to say, you know, I've thought a little about that, but I want to answer it well. Hmm. And I feel like I need to go get a little better handle on that. And I want to engage in that with you. 
right? And to say, hey, look, I found this video. You asked that question the other day, and I've been thinking about it. Look at this video. I think this guy does a really good job, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And isn't that what your children want to hear? I care enough about you to be humble, but also to go find the answer. I think I just heard thousands of teenagers across the country say, yes, <laughs> preach it. <laughs> yeah. And honestly, don't shut me down. I'm not going to lose respect for you when you don't know the answer. I would love it to search out this answer together. That is great wisdom. That is great wisdom. Well, Andy, thank you for being on the show today. We look forward to the Friday Forum this Friday. And thank you for sharing your wisdom and and for continuing to serve the body of Christ. There's a lot to be done. (laughs) Thanks. You're very kind. I appreciate it. And it's been good to be with you. All right. Thanks. Now, how about you? Have your kids or grandkids challenged you with a hard question you couldn't answer? Did you shut them down? Or did you tell them it was okay to ask questions, but inside you had no idea where to find the answers? The Ambassadors Forum is here to help. You can visit our website at theambassadorsforum.com for tons of helpful information on our resources tab or for excellent books and podcasts on all sorts of topics on our recommended resources tab. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you.